Hello, and welcome to our very first episode of Horror Nerds in Church. My name is Pace, my pronouns are they, them, and Freddy Krueger is my great uncle twice removed. Really? Because your nails are not long by any shape or form. You'll have to explain that to me later on. (laughs) I keep them nicely trimmed. Wow, okay. So you're more fashionable than your... Can't fist with long nails, I'll just say that. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, not everybody is able to look good and be a serial killer in nightmares at the same time. Right? Well, okay, so my name is Joseph, but that's what my mother calls me when she's pissed at me. So everybody can call me Joe. Pronouns are he and him. And I once slept with Jason Voorhees. (laughs) I would ask how he's in bed, but I mean, I can just imagine because I've seen enough Friday the 13th movies to know. Yeah, I've always been surprised that I could walk. Is it a mask on situation or a mask off situation? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> well, see, he likes to keep things in the dark. But um, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so we are okay. all right. Pace, what are we doing here? What is this show okay. about? <laughs> We're off to a great start already. Um, so this show, horror nerds in church. Uh, this is our very first episode, and we are kind of a spin-off podcast of Nerds in Church. So if you do not know about them, definitely check them out on any of your podcast apps. And their podcast is they go through the lectionary, uh, the revised common lectionary, so a set of scripture readings for each Sunday in church. And they kind of talk about nerd stuff about that scripture reading how it connects to nerd franchises all of those things ours is a little bit different so we are horror nerds it's very hard to say that word without sounding like you're talking about being a horror nerd but well i mean if the shoe fits right (laughs) and yes so we're already a little bit different as you can guess we're a little bit more adult themed perhaps but also we are instead of going through scripture in a set direction we're more kind of starting with the film, finding horror films that we love, and then kind of using that as a starting point to talk about religious themes that you might come across in it, any biblical stories that intersect, anything like that, anything theology, church nerdy stuff that can tie into that film. And so for our first episode today, we are just kind of doing a get-to-know-your-hosts interview, so we'll be kind of asking each other some questions and answering them so you can get to know us and see what we're all about. Yeah, because I know that our audience is dying to know who are these two wacky horror church people trying to get this off the ground, right? <laughs> yes, and are they really as gay as they sound? And the answer is also yes. It's a very resounding yes. And on that note, so Pace, what is your favorite horror movie? This is like an impossible question for me because I have a favorite horror movie in like each subgenre of horror. Like I have a favorite supernatural, a favorite slasher, a favorite zombie. But if I had to go like with the horror movie that is most iconic to me and has stuck with me most of my life, it has to be Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Ooh. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, yeah, so what's um, your and favorite? I'm sure 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I do love it. But my favorite is, and we have discussed this offline, I am more into subtle horrors, you know, things that make the hair on your arm stand up. Something spooky is just around the corner or maybe a presence. So I guess I'm going to go ahead and boldly declare that the American remake of The Ring, directed by Gore Verbinski, all-time favorite horror movie. That's the con- starting off with a controversial opinion right off oh, the bat. God. You know me, I'm always confrontational. I I don't mind that film, but I mean I think a lot of horror nerds are kind can be very judgmental about um the American remakes of any East Asian franchise tends to be better than the American remake of it. No, it's it's true and those criticisms are valid because most American remakes from any part of the country are quite frankly terrible. But listen, what is more scary than American capitalism, individualism, or colonialism? So if you add a sheen of that to any movie we remake, how is that not more terrifying? Absolutely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. So Pace, what got you into horror? I see my this is weird where like, I don't want to out my family as doing this because it might not have been the most appropriate thing to introduce your children to horror at a very young age. Like from a parenting <laughs> standpoint, maybe not so cool. But like I have distinct memories of my, my parents loved horror. So they would go to late night showings and they'd bring me along to these like rated R films. But thinking that I was young enough, that I would sleep through the movie, but I never did. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd have horrifying dreams, but I nonetheless fell in love with them. And like my earliest horror movie that I think I've seen probably was Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, and I saw that Mm -hmm. movie, I was like four, four or five, the first time I saw it. And so it's like, that's why I love that film. What about you? What got you into horror? Well, uh, I want to mitigate any hesitation you might have about speaking about your family and how they got you into horror movies because I'm in the same boat as you, my friend. <laughs> I, um, Yeah, my mom was a young mother and uh, we immigrated to Maryland uh, when both my mom and my dad were fairly young. And so... You know, my mom had the tastes of a young person when it came to movies. A Nightmare on Elm Street was also, is in fact one of the earliest horror movies I remember watching, if not the first. I'm digging up the memory of that movie as we speak. And the thing I remember the most was this scene, and I think it was a dream sequence, where the yellow school bus is dangling off a cliff. Does that sound familiar at all to you from the first oh, movie? Oh, yes. That's from the second. That's the second movie, actually, believe it or not. Oh. Freddy's Revenge. Oh. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that that memory will always be in my head. And um, yeah, so to answer the question, it was my family, specifically my mom, and I I don't mind saying it was my mom because, uh, quite frankly, I had a good time. It was a great way of spending quality time with my mom in a new country, in, you know, in, in a new context, a new everything, really. And my mom doesn't watch it so much anymore as, as she got older 
it just it just wasn't her thing anymore. Her context became different. But uh, for me, I've, I've held on to watching horror movies of all kinds, including the controversial, apparently, remake of The Ring. <laughs> yes. Like, one of my... <laughs> I mean, first of all, you never go live that down. Although, uh, <laughs> you have... So, one of the things that this podcast explores is how sometimes church can be as scary as real life. And so... Um, one of the things I want to ask is, do you have a real life horror story from church? It can be just church being scary, or it can be a supernatural horror story in your church. However you interpret that question. And I think that's a great question, because as you said, Pace, it can be answered in a lot of different ways. And for me as a queer Catholic, even just saying that phrase is terrifying in and of itself. I I spent a lot of time being closeted and totally afraid of my church in the way that a character in a horror movie might um might be scared. Um but I also want to clarify that in an age where a lot of things about the Catholic Church that were previously suppressed and oppressed um they're they're now that are this age they're now all coming out. I want to say that I guess I was very fortunate in that regard in that I um I never experienced any harm that I can recall and eventually I ended up having a positive experience as a young queer person with somebody from church who was actually very helpful. What about you Pace? Um any horror stories? Yeah, um <laughs> the so my mom is a pastor, ordained Lutheran pastor, in the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I got to see a lot of the ways that some unhealthy church congregations can really chew up and spit out their pastors, especially if they are a young single mom woman pastor. And so, so growing up, there was a lot of that. And then me being a queer person, trying to go through the seminary process and become a pastor myself, when I was in my early 20s, um, at a time that ELCA was still deciding whether or not it wanted to accept or welcome queer people to be pastors, was also a very horrific experience. But I want to start off with something fun and not get into all that stuff, although we'll probably get into some of that later on. And say there, I actually have a ghost story that took place in our church. So, what? Yeah. So my husband worked at a large church in Frederick, Maryland, and it was like a Civil War era. This part along the Monocacy, just a short drive away from Gettysburg. So there's all sorts of horror stories and ghost stories in the Frederick area, and the, this church one night, Matt was practicing organ, and I was upstairs in the organ loft. It was one of those large church buildings where the organ and choir were all up in the loft overlooking like this large rest of the thing. And we were there pretty late at night. I think it was 9 30, 10 p.m. And Matt's practicing the organ. I'm just reading a book. And suddenly we both start seeing the lights flicker a little bit. And then we hear some oh sounds behind no. the altar. <laughs> Uh, the main altar, we start hearing sounds. We're like, what is going on? And they had the, 
I think the host was in the tabernacle, so the red sanctuary lamp was lit. So the lights flicker off briefly. You just have that red glow from the sanctuary lamp. So it's creepy. So we were like really creeped out, wondering what was going on. And then the sacristy is behind the altar. Suddenly the priest comes in from the sacristy door. And so is him. He was turning on and off the lights, trying to wonder why the lights were on in the church and the sounds we heard were him probably doing something in the sack is behind the altar but it was creepy before we knew what was going on and as of course once he saw that matt was practicing he he knew why the lights were on and stuff but it's just one of those creepy moments oh my god well yeah i'm <laughs> see this is the kind of horror that i like my my the arms and my hairs were standing up as you set the scene First of all, you said this was at a certain time of night when, wow, okay, you don't really think of people working at church at that time of night, but good for you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a night owl and my husband's kind of a night owl. So sometimes he likes to practice at like eight or nine at night. And he always goes to church because it's not like if we were in our apartment practicing, we would disturb our neighbors. No, that no, that's a that's a good point. Just as long as you're aware of the you know spiritual consequences <laughs> of practicing after sundown, no, playing an I'm, organ loudly, <laughs> organ. I'm just church. giving you a hard time. But you know what? If I had a if I had to have a fun, if I could give a fun story about being scared at church. I I do have a couple. And I want to preface one that I'm excited to share, I guess. I want to preface that by saying I am a lifelong Roman Catholic. And as I said earlier, I'm very much aware, aware of the terrible things that are happening. And beyond that, I'm also aware that the Roman Catholic Church has a very, how do I say this pace? A creepy reputation. (laughs) There's just... So much stuff about it that for sure leads you to the horror genre. Like (laughs) every exorcism film ever always has a priest with a ritual Romanum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know if you remember this. You may not have been paying attention to this because it was a Catholic thing. But in the early 90s, so I was probably what, somewhere between the ages of 7 and 12, there was this period of time when all the Virgin Mary statues were crying blood. <laughs> Did you remember I that? I remember this. Yes. It was all over the news. And so for me, it was terrifying just to go to church because, you know, Catholic church always has these uh, statues everywhere. It's just part of how they're built. And as a kid, I spent a lot of Sunday mornings going to mass petrified <laughs> that those things were going to start crying or even walking towards me because you know I've got that overactive imagination to begin with so yeah I think in terms of the supernatural and being scared really scared when I was a kid that's got to be it that bizarre phenomenon when tears seem to be coming out of every Virgin Mary statue right at least it wasn't the weeping crucifix in Mumbai are you familiar with this story I am not so the weeping crucifix, I think this was like back in the early 2010s, maybe like 2011, 2012, there is a statue of the crucified Jesus in Mumbai, 
And it attracted all this attention because everybody was streaming to see this miracle of the statue that just seemed to spontaneously be weeping. And then it turned out to be a faulty sewage system. So all these people were collecting these vials of this miraculous substance from Jesus and anointing themselves with all sorts of things. And it's a faulty sewage system behind the church. (gasps) Did, Did a lot of people get sick? I oh don't goodness. know. Wow. Okay. You know, that's a really good example of the most terrifying horror of all capitalism. Yes. <laughs> yes. <Mama. laughs> oh, the next question is really interesting. Do you want to present that one? <laughs> sure. So, since I think we already can guess your answer, uh, perhaps given how you introduce yourself. <laughs> So, the game, Marry, Fuck, or Kill. Uh, so, for the big three horror franchises, Jason, Freddy, or Michael. Uh, do you want me to go first on this? Go for it. For you. Marry, Fuck, or Kill. Well, you would be correct. Well, I don't know how correct you... Actually, I'm not sure. I would have to probably modify what I said earlier, a little, or not modify, but clarify. So, I think Jason is the marrying kind. <laughs> you know he seems you know with the way he always wields his um what what do you call that weapon it's not a chainsaw a machete machete. you know he's he seems very devoted to that i like commitment in a man (laughs) and you know the hockey mask you know he's never he never seems to grow tired of that even when he was launched into outer space (laughs) <laughs> so I admire that. Um, so I would marry Jason. Um, I guess I would have to say this is probably going way too deep into my <laughs> subconscious and reflecting back out into the public via this podcast, but I'll deal with the consequences later. I would like to be fucked by Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be really, really fun. And if if Rue McClanahan, <laughs> rest in peace, who played Blanche and the Golden Girls were alive today, <laughs> I bet Blanche would really be into that. <laughs> but that's a tangent. And then kill, I guess, Freddy. But Freddy is unkillable to my understanding, yes? Uh... They always find a way to kill him somehow, and then he always comes back. Even by a dog named Jason peeing on his grave, peeing fire onto his grave, somehow resurrected him. <laughs> what movie was that in? When that you first was... told me about that plot point, I was flabbergasted. I am 95% sure that that is the fourth installment in the franchise. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very cheeky. <laughs> The Dream Master, I want to say. Um, yeah, well, I'll take your word for it. All right, Pace. Confession time. Okay. So, Mary, I have to say Michael. Because hmm. Michael is the strong, quiet type. He's not going to get in your way. He just seems to be all about being on his own, creeping behind some bushes. So I don't have to worry about like him getting my way. He seems to be very attentive to detail with like 
the details he leaves of setting up the little scenes for people to come into. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. He, he he seems to be pretty dependable. He always is there on Halloween. So I don't know. I think I'd like to marry Michael. Definitely fuck Jason. I mean, a body, like, by the time Kane Hodder was playing Jason consistently, I mean, that body, come on. Who cares what's going on under the mask with that body? But yeah, he was a child murderer, so he can die. Bye. Yeah, no, that's pretty heinous, even for a supernatural serial killer. I love how <laughs> out of all three franchises, none of them got as intentionally cheesy or campy as the Freddy did. Yet Freddy's arguably the darkest. Here's this child killer who they also kind of suggest may have also been a child molester, perhaps. And he's the one with the cheesy punchlines who starts appearing on MTV and becomes a huge sensation. Like Jason, you just have this like immortal zombie person who by the end of the franchise and Michael is the shape, but Freddy, yet none of those get as cheesy or campy as Freddy does. Well, and I might be jumping ahead in our podcast here, but we are a religious podcast and Jason gives me echoes of a golem, except much more evil than the conventional golem. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Good, interesting assessments there. Yeah. Jason, (laughs) too much of a mama's boy for me (laughs) to have any sort of long-term relationship with. That would get old. And I think that, and for me, that's a plus in a husband. Great relationship with his mother. (laughs) (laughs) No, you'd mentioned, um, you'd mentioned um, Kane Hodder's body in ways that probably other fans don't speak. (laughs) (laughs) I, I met Mr. Hodder at, at Comic-Con, and all those years that he spent wielding that machete gave him a very firm handshake. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and he was sweet as pie. I, I, he, was, he was just a delight to uh, chit-chat with, but I had to cut it off because there were other people behind me. And speaking of which, um, the way that we, uh, you and I have characterized Freddie it's so funny because we know Robert England is just like the total polar opposite. Yeah, I love watching interviews with him because he makes it seem like there's so much like care and attention to detail that he'd put in. Because he is like very artsy kind of actor. And then for him to put that same level that he would into like a Shakespearean play into the character of Freddy, I just think is hilarious and makes me love him even more some great actors behind these famous supernatural slashers (laughs) right okay moving on i guess what do you think is the most horrific bible story well for me um i am not i'd have to think a little bit about singling out um a specific story but i do have some legitimate trauma as a child when my <laughs> my mom by the way mom if you're listening to this i love you <laughs> no hard feelings if nothing else you know that experience has given me stories to tell and that story is my mom dabbled in even evangelical christianity i don't even know if this is evangel like it's fundamental christianity these are the folks who believed that the rapture was about to happen any minute. 
and that we needed to constantly be penitent, even more than Catholics. And one example of this was I was made to participate in a small group Bible study every week with them. And they believed that you should go to bed every night admitting your sins and then begging God to lift you up in the rapture <laughs> afterwards, uh, if, if it should, especially if it should happen in the middle of the night. <laughs> because as we were taught, the last thing you want is to wake up and realize you've been left behind. <laughs> That's the horror story right there. That no, no, that is, and that's very traumatic, you know. But more to the point of your question, the entire book of Revelation petrified me as a kid, um, because uh, the this fundamentalist group went into great detail about the imagery that now, as an adult uh, seminarian, I know that uh, John of Patmos probably dreamed up while he was eating the local plants in the island. <laughs> but yeah, no, that book was absolutely terrifying for me as a kid. I I enjoyed, even at that age, I enjoyed Stephen King and Anne Rice, but nothing matched the terror of Revelation simply because it's part of who I am being raised spiritually. And you take it literally. Um as a Roman Catholic, you know, a lot of these, a lot of those beliefs are taken literally. And then to make that shift to this fundamentalist group that my mom was trying out for a while, and they take things even more literally than Roman Catholics, at least, at least Roman Catholics have, you know, reason (laughs) to balance out the wildness, you know, we've we've got Augustine and all of those guys. (laughs) And yeah, so this is something the book of Revelation and all of those horrible things that would befall you if you didn't do this and this and that to please God. Those were literal fears in my very young mind. And, you know, that's not a, that's not a cool thing to do to a kid. (laughs) No, not for, for real. Those are definitely real. And I think that also has a lot to say about the ways in which I don't think a lot of church pastors or educators, even Sunday school teachers have a real grasp of childhood development. So some of the stuff that is communicated to kids, like as an adult, we wouldn't think twice about some of that stuff. But as kids, it just hits very differently because like, I remember one of the most traumatic things for me as a child was that prayer. Um, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. Like I was terrified saying that every single night because I thought I was going to die because that's what the prayer said, you know? And, and like my, that was something that just like you get taught in Sunday school and nobody thinks twice about that. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody considers how that can impact, as you said, child development. And, and that's kind of the tension there in general, right? Like, because we think our faith is so, how do I say, intrinsic to us. It's sort of immune to childhood development, you know, like it doesn't have to be explained away. Like you, we're supposed to naturally understand these things. And that's not true. You know, there should be a, a better understanding of childhood development when we are trying to teach them the ways of whatever it is that we believe in. And I think that definitely goes to into how we talk about the Bible, too, because there are, 
are, as you alluded to, so so many traumatic and horrific stories from the Bible. I mean, if we just talk about the amount of sexual assault that happens um, by, like, King David alone, (laughs) just his whole story, how Exodus can, depending whose side you read Exodus from, can be really traumatic if you read it from the side of the Hebrews, and it's great, it's this liberative story, but then you read it from the side of the Canaanites, whose land the Israelites were promised. It becomes very colonialist, you know, and all sorts of issues. So that, that's kind of across the Bible. But that's one of the things I think is kind of cool about it, too, is just how it really captures humanity at its best and its worst, and in our views of ourselves and how we also view the divine. No, I I, um, I was stricken by how you brought up the S word, sex, <laughs> sexuality. And what that brings up for me is one of the things that fascinated me about Revelation is the horror of Babylon. That's where she makes her appearance in in Revelation. And so as a kid, I don't know much about the world. And childhood is pretty much when we have, or, or what I believe to be the most purest sense of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. And um, as a child, I couldn't understand why this quote-unquote whore of Babylon was such a terrible character. I understood the context. I Even at that age, I understood, okay, so, you know, she had sex often. And even in understanding that, <laughs> I didn't understand why that was so bad. I literally, as a kid, did not understand why she was demonized as the whore of Babylon. And in my head, I'm, I'm literally asking the question, what is terrible about having sex often? Isn't that just a thing that we are able to do as people, like breathing? <laughs> so that kind of thinking, um, when I reflect to how I, I was able to think that sort of thing at that time as a kid, couldn't really call me a bleeding heart liberal or any of the other demeaning names that we we get called when we have compassion for people, you know? So, yeah, I didn't understand. I mean, what makes her the horror of Babylon? Why is she so bad? That's a very empowering read of that. I kind of love it. Very sex positive. (laughs) Sex positive at 11. (laughs) Look who you've become, you Blanche. You were the one who even brought her up. Can we, we're going to save our love lives for another episode. <laughs> There's some horror stories there, too. So, I mean, I'm sure it's going to come. Oh. oh, Lord. Anything that involves cisgender men? Oh too God. soon? No. I'm with you. All right. So, is there anything going on outside of our lives that might be interesting to bring up that is not related to horror? Pace, what do you do in the rest of your life when you are not consumed by horror? I think this is a good question because you'll probably be hearing a lot about my love of horror and my church-related stuff. I'm also a PhD student at the Graduate Theological Union. That's actually where Joe and I met each other, was in a class on capitalism and God, and it was amazing. And it was fate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, So you'll probably hear a lot about that aspect of my life, but beyond that, I live in Washington, D.C. In my spare time, I like not just horror, love sci-fi. Joe knows that I watch more Golden Girls than anyone else on the planet, aside from probably him. He's got me beat there. (laughs) 
<laughs> accurate. Yes. And I love to I love to read. If it's we're recording this during early months of 2021, so it's still pan, a global pandemic. Hopefully our listeners in the future it will no longer be a global pandemic. That's what I'm hoping for. But um oh, so really but hope. If it wasn't for that, I would love to be going out to eat. That's one of my favorite things is being a foodie. I live in D.C., so plenty of good food here. That's me in a nutshell. What about you, Joe? Tell us more about you. Well, outside of horror, and I, yeah, I, I um, to follow your train of thought, I, I think the pandemic has really made me appreciate how much I love to travel, seeing as how now we're very limited in where we can go. Um, and I think um, one of the great things about travel is that it contrasts really well with horror because horror, you know, if we think really deeply about it, which we're going to do in this podcast series, uh, horror is just an expression of like whatever ills are happening in real life in society and in, um, in our interpersonal lives and that kind of thing. And travel, I think, contrasts with that because you get to see some of the best in the world, you know, some of the most beautiful things, um, you know, that can be allowed to flourish, I guess, when life is not consumed by all of those horror things. Yeah, no. So yeah, I used to love to travel, uh, even, even domestically, uh, locally, even, uh, I'm a very big fan of, um, the staycation, and even before the pandemic, uh, there were parts of the Bay Area that I would uh, disappear into um, and just pretend like I'd never lived in the Bay Area for 20 years, which I have. I'm pretty much an adapted Californian Californian at this point. But, you know, there's so many little towns to visit uh, in California alone. And one of my favorite things is that feeling of showing up in one of these towns and knowing that even though California is my home state and I've been paying taxes and voting and all of that stuff for the last 20 years, you show up in one of these little towns and pretend to be a complete stranger. You know, you can make up a little story. Uh, there are times when I've, um, I've shown up at some cute little independent bookstore at some little town I've escaped to. And I just say, Oh, yes, I'm, I'm a first timer to the West Coast. I've lived on the East Coast my, my entire life. Sometimes I'll say, Oh, you know what? I'm here from the Philippines. Yes, I have great English because I'm American educated. <laughs> um, it's fun for, well, from my perspective, it's fun for everyone involved. It's fun for me because I get to make up a new story about myself and I get to escape who I am um, in real life. And it's actually fun seeing how people respond to this. They get so excited and welcoming and inclusive in ways that I'm missing in today's American Christianity. <laughs> Well, that escalated quickly from a love of travel to an editorial about a religion. That's legit, though. Wow, so it looks like we, are we at the end of our question list? Do you think our audience knows a lot about us now? Maybe too much. <laughs> well, they're going to find out a lot more, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. If you think uh, we are as awesome as we apparently think we are, we sure would love have, having you back for the next episode. 
yeah, the plan is to do a movie, um, at least initially every other week, release an episode, and we'll pick a movie for each episode to kind of feature and talk about and just kind of go from there. Can I can I can I share what our our first movie is gonna be? Because I'm excited and I want the audience to be excited too. Definitely, please do. Can I share? Can I share? Okay, so for our first movie in our next episode, we are going to do Flowers in the Attic. The original one, not that monstrosity that Lifetime recently did. So I just wanted to make that distinction clear. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's one of those Movies in that genre of horror movies, which is basically rich white people problems. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, you know, at least it's fun. (laughs) But like the horror, all the horror is, is these are a bunch of rich white people being really weird to each other. Like that's the suspense. And it works because it rich white people can be very mean to each other it seems like i've seen real housewives (laughs) right and when you're watching flowers in the attic it's kind of the same sentiment as real housewives you're secretly thinking to yourself yeah they deserve that i think that's it for our first episode um i look forward to many more okay so until next time i guess I will be Louise Fletcher, the grandmother of Flowers in the Attic. Hey, I want to be Louise. Don't make me get catty on you, Pace. (laughs) I'll be Christy Swanson, Kathy. There's a really good slapping scene between those two. (laughs) But we'll save that for next time. Thanks, y'all. Bye. That's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May, who also edited this episode. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church. We're also on Twitter at HNAC. P.O.D. Horror Nerds at Church Pod. For all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time.